Hey guys, welcome back to Working Comic Podcast. Austin Nasso here. Thanks for tuning in to episode 6 featuring Ahmed Barucha. Ahmed is a stand-up and sketch comedian. And in this episode, he sheds some light on what it's like to transition from a smaller to a larger comedy scene as a stand-up comedian. And, you know, what those differences are like. He also goes over his experience getting into Montreal's Just for Laughs. Uh, how he got onto late night TV and how to prepare for late night TV uh, in terms of stand up comedy. We also dive into uh, sketch comedy and what it's like to be in a popular YouTube sketch channel. So please uh, stay tuned and enjoy this episode. I learned a lot and I hope you guys will too. So, hey guys. Austin Nasso here. Welcome back to Working Comic Podcast. Today I have Ahmed Barucha as a guest with me today. He's Hello. a hey Ahmed. Hi, <laughs> oh, I just like talking over you. Did I interrupt? <laughs> <laughs> I have to like work on not interrupting the moment. No, 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 no. I was interrupting. <laughs> no, you're great. Okay, so Ahmed is a comedian and writer for web series Dead Kevin. Mm-hmm. And um, he is also been featured on Comedy Central. Conan O'Brien and Dream Corp LLC. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> thanks for having me over. I appreciate it. Of course, it. thanks for coming. Especially at eight fifteen <laughs> yeah. on a Sunday. That was my fault. No, it's okay. <laughs> you have a little tiny baby to yeah. attend to. Yeah. So yeah, wait. Okay. So anyway, um, <laughs> how did how did you first? Okay. I have to. I forgot how to have a conversation. I, I feel like I've been like too in my head today. Um, You're doing it. I am doing it. Great. This is the best start. Oh. <laughs> we can cut this out. Yeah, we can. <laughs> God damn it. No, I let's, keep I, like, it. let's keep it. <laughs> should we just keep it? Okay, we'll keep this it. This is raw. This is like way too natural, me getting <laughs> awkward. Okay. <laughs> I'm here with Ahmed. He is a very talented comedian. And um, yeah, I just want to talk to you about your experiences yeah. in stand-up comedy and sure. TV and all that stuff. Awesome. So I'll, the first question, uh, how, did, how did you get into comedy? How did I get into it? Well, so I I always liked comedy. I was a kid. I liked stand up and just funny movies and stuff like that. And I always wanted to do it. So then when I was in college, I started working at a comedy club, and I was just like a busboy and a dishwasher. And I wrote in like a notebook for like about a year, just ideas. And then finally, just gathered at least five minutes worth of ideas and went up in an open mic and just kept going after that. Nice. Yeah, especially like after you do that first one, it, it's a lot easier to keep going. How was it received the first time you did it? I felt pretty good about it. I did invite like some friends and family, so I had some people that were rooting for me in the audience. Yeah, that's. Uh, super but important. I remember feeling like, you know, I've had worse sets since, so that's so that's good. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so well, where'd you go to school? What was the comedy scene? I went to University of Rhode Island. Um, there wasn't really much comedy there until. Like I kind of started like a show on in the on campus in a cafeteria, that nice. was pretty rough. <laughs> it was like blenders and stuff oh like yeah, that. yeah. And then so that's where I started. Well, no, I started in Rhode Island, like uh, Providence. There was a comedy club in a mall called Stitches Comedy Cafe, and that's where I worked. And I worked there for like a year. I'm pretty shy too normally, so people there didn't know I wanted to do it. Yeah. And then like about a year in, I was like, can I? How do I get on to the open mic? And they're just like, oh, you just 
you just put your name down. <laughs> like, like I was like working there <laughs> for a the year, secret. biding my time. Like one day I'll figure out how to crack in. That's amazing. You know, just write your name down. <laughs> nice. So what was that? Well, so okay, you started at how? What year? I was year uh, twenty years old, I believe. Oh, nice. So you're like a sophomore yeah, twenty in years old. Yeah, yeah. I was like a summer between freshman and sophomore year. I think like I had always wanted to do it, and I what I actually this kind of maybe come up more in the uh, episode. What I did was I just told someone that I was gonna do it in June. This is yeah. someone I worked with. I was like, oh, I'm doing stand up in June, and just because I like said it out loud, it kind of like set. Uh, uh, a deadline for myself yeah and then um, it made me do it which is kind of how in the future a lot of stuff I do is just that's interesting yeah making saying something saying I'm going to do something and then it did following you, through did you follow through because you said it out loud and you yeah. wanted to do it yourself or like other people heard and you'd be like no it was uh, like that guy probably had no idea if I would do it or not it was just some guy I worked with well, he wasn't planning on coming to the show or anything it just because yeah. I said it to someone I just didn't want to like be lying or something yeah it's like the confirmation of yeah lying, the consistency yeah of you are to be consistent i said it to someone yeah you have to do it and he probably has no memory of that that's so interesting <laughs> i was reading this book about it's called influence by like robert cialdini and it's like um some of the psychological factors that go into um like influencing something or motivating action and um one of them is like consistency. Yeah. So just like the act of saying you're gonna do something, yeah, and makes you feel through. compelled to like follow through. Um, I don't know. It was just interesting. Yeah. They compared it to like um, in the book, uh, uh, in the Korean War. Wait, am I doing this right? Is the Korean War? <laughs> it, there was a war, and um, could have been. I in think Korea. it was. Okay, it was one of the wars. Uh, <laughs> one of the wars back then, and uh, they would capture uh, American soldiers, and the POWs. They would have them write. Uh, like North, okay, I'm doing this wrong. They would have them write communist, <laughs> uh, like paragraphs or sentences yeah. that they didn't necessarily believe in. So like, they would have the Koreans would have a like a paragraph already written mm -hmm. about, of this like communist philosophy. Yeah, and they'd have the American POWs copy that it down. would literally just copy it down. Sometimes they'd read it on like a loudspeaker to the other POWs, even though they like all knew that it wasn't like real or what they believed yeah. in the act of saying it out loud in. and writing it made them start to believe it themselves. Yeah. So that's, that's just interesting. That's, yeah, that's really that, random tangent. No, okay. I believe that <laughs> you know, mind over matter. Well, that's really cool. So tell me about the show you started in college. Um, so, so yeah, there wasn't a lot of comedy going on in my school. And I think I had heard like maybe Patton Oswalt talking once and it was just like, you know, if there's not comedy around you, it's your job to, create it you know so you, you can do comedy anywhere you just got to put the show on so that was a way for me to try to get more shows instead of trying to get on other people's shows yeah totally got a mic and a you know a stand and a speaker and someone let me have a corner of a cafeteria and so it was kind of rough you know it was a free show and i would stand outside in front of it barking trying to get you know free comedy free comedy yeah. and most people didn't want anything to do with you um and i would get comics from up in Boston that where I was starting to perform to come down. And it was fun. You know, I met a lot of people I'm still friends with now and kind of felt like you're in the trenches just trying to, and it was cool to have your own weekly show because you're forced to say something new each time. Cause you don't know who came last week Yeah, and you, you know, you're so desperate for them to come back the week after you don't want them to get sick of hearing this guy's same jokes every week. That's so true. Yeah. 
I feel like I definitely would do the same jokes too much <laughs> yeah. on the show. But that, that, that is a good point. Uh, that, that's really cool. I, I could totally relate to that, just like at UCLA. Yeah. Like, starting a lot of comedy things, yeah. too. Like, there wasn't much. So, <laughs> yeah. Like, you really have to just make your own show. Yeah, you have to make your own scene. Totally. So, were you mostly in... So, I guess that's when you started... You first got started <laughs> at the open mic, then you kind of made your own show at college. Um, how did you start, like getting better and like immersing yourself in a comedy scene i would say when i when i first started doing comedy i maybe do a show like once a month or so and i thought i was doing it a lot i was like i do a show every month yeah uh and then i was in rhode island where there wasn't a lot of comedy uh shows going on so yeah. once a month wasn't too bad i felt like but then i started going up to boston there was a lot more younger guys it was a bigger scene and people were doing comedy every day so that really i think that push helped me grow because I was like, oh, you can perform every day. So if you're doing that, you're getting way more comfortable. Um, you're just able to generate more material because, you know, it's t stage time isn't as precious if you're going to do it again tomorrow. Yeah. And if you're doing it once a month, it's like you don't want to waste that five minutes you get on one bad joke that you don't think is going to work. So you're not going to take that chance. Yeah. But if you start performing all the time, you know, things just start – flowing better i think wow how far was uh the trip to boston from Rhode it was Island? about an hour so me and my my best friend tim bargoulish who was a comedian i met in my college uh we just graduated and started going up to boston almost three to six times a week wow and you know we just did make that drive all the time just because we liked the scene up there and felt like there was more comedians we gelled with and made made us kind of motivated because we thought they were funny and yeah wanted to make them think we were funny nice so what what was your major in sorry i wanted to just roll back yeah so, no, that's fine. Yeah, what did you major in in college i started as an engineer and oh. then i finished as a theater major so nice yeah i i know a couple people that have done that really yeah <laughs> one of my good friends did that or he did went from electrical engineering to i think minoring in film and doing something yeah thing yeah, it took me a while. I graduated in six years, and I didn't really switch my major until like my second senior year. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Like I, I kind of, kind of gave up on engineering maybe sophomore junior year, but just never really made a choice to declare a different major or figure out what I should be doing. Damn, what kind of engineer were you gonna be? I was a mechanical engineer. Okay, cool. Because I, I just, I liked, you know, I liked that kind of stuff. I liked math and science and robots and shit. You know, yeah. so. <laughs> Uh, sounded appealing, but then once you got into the like nitty gritty math and that was super intense yeah. physics and stuff like that, I was just it gets too really stupid. Hard. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. And I was taking like acting classes on the side, so I was kind of in the theater department a little bit, but that was the only class I was taking. Uh -huh. So luckily, by the time I was like a second senior, I had an advisor that just like tricked all my classes into being things that counted to graduate that's amazing this had like so many math classes and you don't need any of that in theater yeah they're like wow. this math class did you get another history like minor major or something with all those no classes. i probably could have but i was just trying to get out of there wow okay yeah. cool so what did you do after you graduated uh that's when i moved back in to my parents house because i wanted to save money and uh that's when i just like went to boston almost every day and that's really Probably when I graduated was when I started performing uh, about every day. So maybe three three years into comedy, I graduated and was like, oh, you could do it every day. And so I'd just go up to Boston and 
Wow. Just found a cool, really cool club called the Comedy Studio. It was in the attic of a Chinese restaurant on Har- in Harvard Square. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was really cool. You, you know, and I think being around other people that I thought were really funny uh, was really helpful. That's so cool. So did you work a job while you were doing that? Yeah. I, so I, I think after I graduated, I started working at Bank of America in a call center. Okay. Answering the phone uh, to people who were mad. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so that sucked. Uh, I did that for about a year or so, saved up enough money, and then just uh, quit, and then just did comedy for like the next year or so. Still living with my oh, parents, wow. so still living That's pretty dedication. cheap. Uh, yeah. Then that was cool. But then after that, I got to get another job, and I started working in a restaurant, in a kitchen, uh, and did that for another year, and then moved to LA after that. So I was about six or seven years into comedy. I moved to LA. Oh, nice. So you were in. Uh where okay, so you were an hour away from Boston, yeah. still like mm-hmm. driving up there pretty yeah. frequently. Mm-hmm. So what were the what was that like? So you would have work, um, you would drive up after work. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty. In, you know, it was intense. Um, just, sometimes you couldn't go home after you just clock just out of work and bring a change of clothes and just drive down. I worked with Tim Vargulish, my friend that I was talking about. Yeah. Uh, so we worked at the same spot. We just leave from work sometimes. Go go right to Boston. Sometimes you know we had enough friends up there we could crash a night, uh, come back in the morning or something. But oh, most wow. of the time That's it was intense. just driving back at night. And everyone wants to party after shows and drink and hang out. So sometimes we're like you know going to IHOP at yeah. like one a.m. We're like ah, I gotta go drive an hour. Oh my after god, this. we always go to IHOP after. Yeah, shows. <laughs> I feel like it's the only one that's open, spot. right? Yeah, <laughs> it's cheap. It's open. Wow, that's it's kind of so cool. sad. Like comedians. Yeah, exactly. It's just like not that great. <laughs> yeah. but. Oh, that's so cool. So you were in, you're there for six years. Mm-hmm. And so what's that, what's the Boston scene like? Because it's very different than L.A. Yeah, I, I really like it because it's, cause it's so different from L.A. or New York where it's uh, there's not as much industry there. So I think that people are a little bit more focused on just comedy. Mm-hmm. They're like, you know, maybe not as business savvy as people in New York or L.A., but which is, I, I kind of like it. Yeah. It's just a bunch it's of like natural. funny guys. That yeah. Are, and girls are just trying to like make people laugh and trying to get into like the next show or try to become a headliner and not so focused on you know their headshot or or you know getting a TV spot. You know, people want yeah. TV spots in Boston as much as you know anyone else, but it's not in front of them all the time. And I think you can kind of stretch your legs a little bit more when you're not so worried about climbing like a, a, this giant ladder yeah, of show business. Totally. So people are just focusing on getting better at stand up. Yeah, I think so. You know, I think a lot of those cities that aren't the two major ones are good for that. What's, there's a lot of competition, but it's still like small. Yeah, totally. Was so is Boston the kind of scene where everyone knows all the each other? I'd like, say for the most part, yeah. Maybe there is a few kind of major scenes that you might not. Like, no people in the other scene. But in L.A., it seems like there's, like, you know, five to ten different, like, little pools of comedians. And you could go years performing all the time and never meet people in the other one. But Boston, most likely, you're going to know most of the comedians, I think. Is there, like, a clear, like, I'm I'm in Seattle right now, and Mm -hmm. I noticed... I think it's kind of similar to Boston. Yeah, it's like a a medium, like, city scene where most people know each other. It seems almost like there's an unspoken, like, I mean, unspoken or just spoken amongst the comedians, like, hierarchy of, like, these are the comics on yeah, top. Yeah, for sure. The comics, like. Which, yeah, that, that's kind of kind of cool, too, because it just kind of, 
it allows for this like learn like you learn from the guys that have been doing it for longer you yeah know? but then also at the same time a lot of those guys that are doing it for that long but still in boston maybe don't evolve as quickly as the younger guys so it's kind of this nice balance of the old guard that kind of think like oh this is what comedy's like these young guys don't know what they're doing but the young guys are kind of you know maybe trying to do something new uh so it's kind of a, f- a fun balance of these like angry old guys that are like shut up wait your turn yeah and these young kids who are just you know doing it themselves and trying to blow past the big guys you know that's so funny so yeah. Oh, what was your transition like uh, coming from Boston to L.A.? So that was it was pretty hard. You know, it was very different. Uh, in Boston, it's a very hangout kind of culture. Everyone wants to hang out after the shows, and it's a smaller scene, so it's kind of easier to get noticed a little bit. Like, if you do have a great set, like, people might notice it. But in L.A., it just kind of felt like you are just in this vast ocean of comedians. And yeah. You could have a good set one day, but didn't really matter maybe or no one saw it no no yeah. one, you know you the person you wanted to see it that maybe had a show that they'd put you on maybe they saw it but it didn't matter because they have 50 other guys that they're thinking about putting on their show and yeah, yeah. that's crazy I, I noticed like the big thing like just doing open mics here versus like in la versus seattle like in la no one's watching i mean there's yeah. a handful of theaters yeah. like west side's pretty good like because they actually have audience in their open mic but like a lot of the mics are like yeah it's like a brutal. barren wasteland of yeah if yeah it's, it's like, like doing comedy at mad max or something you yeah know? it's crazy like no one's watching it's it, so it really it gave me a thicker skin than i'd ever had in comedy before and i'd been doing it about seven years at that point and i never really felt like i had that thick of a skin but i thought i was doing okay but you come here and you just do these really sad sad mics where maybe there's only five people they're all comedians and, and you know, they're upset. Yeah, and they're, they, they're waiting. They, yeah, they don't know who you are. They, or, or they just have their friends that they're gonna laugh at. Cause there's some you know cool mics where there's 40 comedians that show up, and maybe 10 to 20 are all kind of friends. Yeah. So when they go up, they'll watch. But you know, you're not gonna watch 40 comedians every day. So they check out when they don't know you, or you know. So then you just have this extra hurdle. Yeah. To to blow past or to to reach. So, I mean, I imagine you established, like, some sort of reputation in Boston. Yeah, yeah, uh, you for had sure. You connect with, like, a connect with, that was great. You had connections and <laughs> yeah. a network of friends. Um, <laughs> I combined them. <laughs> into a connect <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, did you feel, because a lot of people say you basically, like, start over. Did you feel yeah, like that? Yeah, for sure. And I actually really like that. I think that uh, really helps to start over. It sucks. You have, you know, some people have a little more pride, and they they don't want to be doing mics and struggling, and you know, because you move to LA and people are doing it for two years, but they've been here for two years, so they have a little bit of footing in the scene. Yeah, you've been doing it seven, and you're you're on the same level, and you're kind of frustrated about that. Yeah, but you have to, and I think that's like maybe one of the best lessons that Los Angeles taught me was to just not have as big of an ego. Not that L.A. doesn't have egos, but yeah. but it can check your ego a little bit, and you just have to put that aside. and Just deal with it. Like, yeah. There's going to be And I knew that, that going into it. Everyone always says that. you got to start over. So I was ready to just start from the bottom, and I really did. Like I knew people that moved here and had a little bit more connections, I think, or 
a manager, an agent, kind of help them get on the cool shows. And I kind of just almost, I tried that a little bit, but I just started from like the worst mics and just slowly worked my way. And like, all right, this people at this mic finally think I'm funny. Maybe they'll put me on their crappy show. And then once I do that crappy show, maybe someone has a kind of a cool show. See me. (laughs) Yeah. So you're trying to think of like when you're doing mics, you try to like just impress people. Yeah, and I would. Always, that's kind of one thing I always try to give advice to other people that came. Where you go to a mic and it would suck, but I just always tried. I always tried to figure out the room, or and that's kind of what I think is funny. Fun about comedy is seeing a different room. I mean, sometimes these mics are so awful that there's no winning them over. But if you kind of set a little goal for yourself, or you're just like, I just want to do a couple new jokes and get through it, or or riff a little bit or just kind of not be nervous, you know, just set these little goals. You can have little victories at these bad mics or, you know, yeah, totally. Just like little things you want to work on. And yeah, instead of going, Oh, this sucks. And then just going up there and going, ah, this is stupid. Uh, you know, that's (laughs) what a lot of people do is because it does suck. So you put your defense mechanisms up and you're just like, I'm not gonna try. Yeah, but then you're not even getting yeah, wasting from your it. time, everyone else's time. That's interesting. So, did you have like a thought process when you do a mic? Like, are you gonna do like your existing like material that yeah, kills, or are you sure. gonna like try and do new stuff? I was pretty and maybe meticulous, I think, about it. Where I kind of wrote a list of all the jokes I'd already had down, and because I wanted to be able to, because I feel like when you're in that world of you kind of see the same. 20 to 60 people every week yeah so i wanted people to still listen and i didn't always have five new minutes every week so i would go through my old stuff and i would just uh, always want to have something new to, to say i would kind of rotate things in even if it's old for you yeah yeah and that was great because sometimes you'd find an old joke and you'd oh this was good i, I shouldn't have stopped telling this or you found a new thing to, to put it in. That's so, so cool. So, yeah, I did that. I had, like, a backloaded, you know, seven years of just jokes. That's amazing. So I had those, and then I tried to write as much as possible. When I first moved here, I didn't work. I lived with my sister on her dining room floor uh, on, like, a deflated air mattress. <laughs> wow. Because it just kept popping, so I just stopped fixing it. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'm just going to sleep on this... <laughs> this deflated Plastic balloon. thing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I just... I always tried to at least have, like a new or new-ish five minutes to work on in front of people that saw me the week before. And whether it was new-new or just new to them. Yeah, that's so smart. I yeah. just I just started, like, putting together my old bits that I kind of got rid of, like, throughout college, and I want to, like, start reworking them. Yeah. Again. Even if you never – even if you just tell it a couple times that week and never use it again, it still was valuable because – they didn't hear it before and you got practice on how to dust off an old joke. Yeah, exactly. And, but then I would say to the balance that out, I was doing that so much the first year or two I moved here. I was just constantly trying to do new stuff. But after a while I felt like I wasn't honing any joke. And so I'd go on the road and try to look at my set and I realized, Oh, a lot of these jokes I'm doing are none of the new ones that I wrote because they might work at mics or they're just, funny because they're new but they're half finished ideas yeah because i did them for a week or two and then moved on yeah so i had to kind of find a balance between that and i think always i'm always trying to struggle between generating new stuff and just fine-tuning old stuff 
Yeah. How do you decide something's finished? Um, I mean, I don't know if it ever really is finished because you could always say it differently or, but, you know, maybe if you do it on TV, it's kind of finished. Or, yeah, because like already. Yeah. Archived. But I have some jokes where even I did it, maybe did it on TV, and then you tell it again later, and you think of a new tag or, and I think if you if you kind of consider them finished then maybe they might lose their magic to you you know oh this is just like a finished thing yeah. i'm just saying it again exactly versus like how do i squeeze more last out of this totally idea yeah but yeah so yeah i think they're maybe never finished that's cool yeah or at least they get they take a while <laughs> before yeah, they're finished. of course so i have a lot of friends that are just like in seattle and they want to and it makes sense because, like, the quality, stage time in Seattle is, like, fantastic. Yeah, like, of course. There's Great just, like, city. open mics that have, like, 50 people show, <laughs> yeah. which is, like, absurd. Yeah. Um, so some people have the philosophy of, you know, staying there, getting better, and then moving out to, like, L.A. or New York. Mm -hmm. But I'm kind of torn because a lot of the stuff I like to do is down in L.A. And I've only been in Seattle for six months. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure... Uh, you know, if it's worth it to like yeah. really establish myself there. I mean, I'm still giving back to the scene because I'm starting my own shows and stuff. Yeah. But I'm thinking about coming back to LA like pretty soon. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess it depends on what your like overall goals are and long term things and like if you want to do acting or stuff like that. I, general advice, I, I, I think it's great to start in like a, a medium city. Yeah. And really grow because like i said like moving i think always really helps your stand-up so if you can save the last move for later yeah if you're gonna come to la and just stay here then you're like never gonna have that awkward move where you have to kind of prove yourself again or start over and i think you kind of grow the i i felt like i grew the most anytime i moved into a new scene like when i went from rhode island to boston that yeah. was a big gr growing pain thing but that helped me in the long run and then moving to la it was really though the, that two first two years i felt like i became like so much better of a comedian just because i was in the new place had new people to impress you know new hurdles new goals different setting it was yeah. cool so I, I was yeah I, so i do think that living in a city that's not la or new york is really helpful yeah and it's not necessarily just so that you can have establish yourself in Seattle and it's not like the only goal thing that's going to help you is that, Oh, now I'm, I can go to Seattle, but it's just, you gain the knowledge from Seattle people and you know, comedy in Seattle and LA is going to be different. So if you're performing in Seattle for like a year or two or three, you kind of get a little Seattle flavor. Yeah. When you come to LA, now you have a little of that Seattle flavor in you and then you start getting a little LA flavor. Yeah. So now you just kind of have a well-rounded, you know, voice. That's I really think. cool. Cause it just like builds a perspective. Yeah. It's not like every comic in Seattle sounds the same or every comic in Boston, but a lot of times you can kind of, kind of hear it or see it or like, like little there's just, yeah, little things that everyone's kind of doesn't realize they're all doing together. And then you move somewhere and you notice, it's really easy to notice it when it's in a city you don't live in. Like that when I first moved to LA, it was like, everyone was doing the, like, this is my impression of blank. And then it was like something that wasn't oh, like an the, impression of, or, oh, okay. or like, you know, there was just little things that you started always like, oh, a lot of people are doing this, and they're not really copying each other. Yeah, it's just kind of the style. language that they have. It's so interesting. It's like this evolution. Yeah. Of like this, they're different here. I don't <laughs> yeah. Know, like, 
That's that's interesting. Yeah, I, I noticed that, especially like the people doing like mini impressions. I don't yeah. know if that's what you're talking about. People yeah, do, like, yeah. Sometimes people are like, "This is my impression of a hamburger that needs help," you know? Or yeah. And there's like, "Hello." Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it's almost like an anti, that. like a lot of anti-comedy kind exactly. of exactly. Which I felt like there was a lot of that when I moved to LA. Just a lot of, like, like anti-comedy, alternative comedy stuff. Which yeah. I I like that stuff. But when you see it all together, you're like, oh doesn't feel different that is, anymore that is interesting that's a big thing i noticed in la so it's that's why it's good to move yeah. to different scenes and yeah. kind of get the different yeah and like new york has too. its own voice it's very like aggressive and like confident and and that's cool but sometimes people act like new york's the best place to do stand-up but then you go to new york and you're like well all these stand-ups seem the same to me so but then you see a comic from wisconsin and you're like oh this guy feels fresh and different because he doesn't have that same filtered voice that everyone in new york has yeah exactly how long so have you ever done like new york for uh, an extended period yeah, of time for sure so when i lived in rhode island it was only three hours away from new york so especially towards the end when i knew i was going to move to la i was trying to go down to new york and spend like a week at a time there just so i didn't feel like i missed out on it yeah but yeah so yeah i went to new york a good a good amount of time in that seven years i lived on the east coast sweet yeah so can you walk me through kind of like what was the trajectory of your stand-up career? Like, what were the major milestones for you? Sure. To um, now? I guess, uh, you know, the first few years are just you trying to figure out what's going on, how to, how to do shows, how to say jokes, how to, who you want to be on stage. And then I feel like when I found that club in Boston, the comedy studio, that was probably one of my bigger moments because now I kind of knew – oh, I want to be one of these guys. I want to be in with this club. It wasn't just, I want to do more shows. It was like, I want to figure out how to work my way up this ladder in this club. And that really helped. And then, so that was maybe like three years into comedy, I found that club. So you knew it kind of let you establish more concrete yeah. goals. And they like had people come through town like to do auditions for like Comedy Central or Letterman and oh, things wow. like that. So they had these little nuggets that you could, like, you know, if you were one of the better cl- comics at the club, they might throw you into one of the auditions. So there, you know, I did that for a few years there, and that was really helpful just to have these, you know, obtainable or not obtainable goals that you're just trying to get better towards. And that really helped. And, I, you know, I think I did, like, a couple comedy festivals that those years. It was, like, you know, from th- year three to year six. yeah. Uh, did some festivals and uh, did different auditions that kind of helped grow and try to work the road a little bit, try to get start getting paid. Figuring out how to get paid is, like a, I think, a good milestone. What was that for you? Um, you know, it wasn't very good, <laughs> but you, you'd find – you kind of had to, like, find out people you knew how they were doing it. So there's, like, people a little bit further along than you. They're like, oh, I work with this guy – Bob and Bob has like seven shows around New England and he'll give you a hundred bucks if you can do this or you know so kind of slowly get this web of people that know you're funny that might give you some money yeah you know and there's other ways to do it there's like colleges and NACA's and agents and stuff like that or are you in NACA or any of those I did NACA a couple times I finally got like uh, accepted last year and got some good gigs out of it made more money than I've made in stand-up before um, so that was great. So yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's like juggling. It's like I think it's like spinning plates, making money at stand up because there's not one place you're gonna go and go. Oh well, now I'm here and I'm gonna make money at stand up. 
there's just basically endless amounts of job interviews, you know? Yeah. I used to, I knew people that were better at it who, like, would make a packet. Like, they would email to a college or send someone and seemed like it was working, but I would try that and just never, never get anyone to respond to anything. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I just, it's very, very hard. I still struggle with it. And I have an agent now who helps with that way more. So that's a huge thing. I'd say when I moved to L.A., that's kind of what that taught me. So that was, I'd say, you know, moving to L.A. was another really kind of peg in my my career trajectory yeah. where it, you see a little bit more of the business. You have to be a little more business savvy, which is kind of why I like waiting to come to L.A. Because if you do that part first, yeah, it's really weird, you know. To be like, like this business savvy. Know, I have a manager, an agent, a headshot, and I go on auditions, and I've been doing comedy for a couple months. and Yeah. So then, like, it's like, ba- it's like backwards or you just – you're learning this other step that you almost don't need yet. So you're, you're, oh, you're so good at the business part or the branding part, but you don't have the content really or the, the experience yet. Totally. So, yeah, I don't know. But, but it was great. I feel like seven years in was, for me, a good time to learn that and go like, oh, I'm not just up there telling jokes. Like, I'm me, so what is about me that other people should buy into? You know, you can't just be a funny guy. It has to be like, well, who, what, what kind of funny guy are you? Like, are you an actor? You know, what's your voice? You know, what are other people seeing when they see you? Which I think LA really teaches you more than any other city. Interesting. How did you feel like, you know, or at what point were you like, this is my voice and this is how people see me and I want to like I, propagate this more? I know people always ask me that and I think my answer is lame because I don't, I still think I'm finding that. A little bit yeah i think it can always change and stuff like that but maybe about five or six years in i kind of knew like i used to do one-liners sometimes but they just never fit in my act so i kind of started getting rid of those you know i was like i didn't you know for a while i was trying to do everything i was like oh, i want to do one-liners i want to do stories and i want to do like maybe i didn't really do impressions ever but like you know after a while i started stripping away the stuff that just didn't feel like me yeah and, and, yeah, I think I'm still evolving, or hopefully, to find what that voice is. But, yeah, I don't know. It's, I guess it's always good to try to find out who you really are, like, as a person. But then there is a different comedy person that you are. That's true. So trying to make marry those two a little bit. Be true to yourself, but don't just, don't just be you, you know? Figure out who you are on stage. That's interesting. So... You mentioned you did the road a little bit. What was that experience like? How long did you do the road? Um, I mean, I guess the road is kind of hard to say what the road is, you know, but like in Boston, that was like kind of the New England road where there was a little circuit and I never really broke into it very well. I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm like that good at being my own like representative. I'm not very pushy. I'll maybe email someone, oh, well, can I do the show? They say yes or no, or maybe not answer. So it was kind of always just like piecemealed things where maybe this guy at this club, he's kind of cool with me and he, he'll let me do a show. It was never enough to like, make money. Yeah. But the road, what's good about the road is it's very different all the time and it's just regular people. Whereas LA or like cool cities, like, you know, even like Seattle and Boston, like, it's a little more hip or there's a little bit more worrying about the other comics. But when you go on the road, it's kind of just like being an adult a little bit where you're getting paid. So 
that's changes everything. Yeah. Well, when you're just doing like a cool, fun show, like all you want to do is like crush it or something, and or you want to be the best comedian. But when you're like working, you kind of realize like, oh, these people paid, they came from work. Like it's my job to not ruin their night. You know? Yeah. Like sometimes you know, sometimes on the road you might get a crowd that doesn't like you, but because it's your job now you have to be a little bit maybe more respectful or at least that's how I look at it. That's interesting. That's a totally different perspective. Yeah. Like, it's not like this is my stage. I can do whatever I want. Yeah. But you can still. There's like a like... respect to it. And it's, it's like, but it's also maybe a little bit less self-gratifying all the time. It's like, oh, maybe I'm going to do some jokes that aren't my favorite jokes. I'm just going to like do some crowd work or something that maybe is boring to me. But but these people like. Interesting. Know, it kind of teaches you a little bit more of I don't want to say less selfish, but it's just less. You're just kind of trying to be funny for anyone, rather than be funny for this specific cool group of people that you like already. And I think it's good to do both. Like if you just do the road, you kind of maybe become a little broad or uh, kind of lose touch with like what makes you laugh. Uh, but then when you just do like cool shows in the cool cities, then you kind of just start making your friends laugh, and you start losing touch with like what anyone else thinks interesting did you ever feel that some of your material worked in certain places and not others oh yeah for sure and that's what i like about doing both you start having like little magic bags of like all right this is my bag of tricks that will work at like a rowdy bar show or here's like a show that will work great like a a nerdy alt show in a cool city yeah oh this is all old people like I, i gotta like figure out how to talk to old people or you know kids or college kids are different uh yeah they were just like a banquet hall with like big tables and everyone's yeah. eating you know there's so many different kinds of rooms that like maybe a really dirty joke is gonna get the bar the rowdy bar crowd to like you know hoot and holler for you where as if you're in the old folks home you're not gonna want to lean into like the dirty stuff yeah exactly yeah or like with the kids maybe you want to be a little bit more random and weird so you kind of like pick those jokes it's not like i write each joke for those rooms but you know you have them and you kind of like shuffle them over here you're like oh these jokes kind of work at this place or and then at the end of the day when you're headlining and doing an hour you kind of just have to do everything but you can kind of move the material around a little bit you know, win them over in the beginning. Then maybe the old people will listen to your dirty joke or tell a dirty joke now. The bar crowds listen to you. Now you can tell them kind of like quirky, weird observation uh, or something. So you kind of like shift it to like win them over first. Yeah. That's how I, I always kind of front-loaded it into things I think will win, which kind of sucks when they don't work because now I've front-loaded it with all the stuff that I think they might like, and now I just got to give them the rest of the stuff that I know they're not going to like. Yeah. But, I but yeah, I always kind of hedge that bet where I'm just like, I'm just going to make them like me, and then they'll let me do whatever I want. That's a good philosophy. What What's your favorite kind of show to do? Um, I guess, like, I do like the, like, small room alt crowd that's, like, packed in, in, like, a cool city. Yeah. You know, like a Chicago or Seattle or New York or L.A. or – you know austin like though i do love those where it's like a really hot crowd that comes there you know all the time so they get comedy they uh you know there's not yeah, i don't know i like that that's cool those are my favorites that's fun yeah but i think if you do those too much you just spoil yourself and start losing it <laughs> yeah exactly because then you kind of lose like you were saying you lose touch with the yeah. other 
scenes. There's yeah, so much. exactly. That's cool. So you also did like just for laughs and yeah, that was a huge. That when I first moved to LA, I got I auditioned for it when I was in Boston. But when I moved to LA, is when I like went through it and got it, and that really helped. Just it's just a little credit, and people might then people in LA maybe like help you get on shows a little bit more because they go, oh okay you you did something legit that we were all trying to do. Was it the Fresh Faces? Yeah, it was Fresh Faces. I was Fresh Faces unrepped, which is like, uh, like lower. <laughs> yeah, there's a difference, right? There's unrepped, and then there's one with if you have like a manager, right? Yeah. So like the other one, you can get in if you don't have a manager, but it's a little bit harder because managers are all like, and agents are like pushing their clients in, and it's just like a lot of politics. Yeah. But the unrepped was just like, people that were scouting, it was just their choice, you know. So that felt kind of cool. That yeah. It's like, oh, I didn't. No one was like on my side like gunning pushing me in but then when you get there the festival it, it did feel like you were less special than the other <laughs> other really? ones like the like regular new faces like just their shows were better usually it seems like the other times i've seen it's kind of similar it's like interesting they like, kind of made it like yeah like, oh, you gotta, gotta be in the corner and there's no one there <laughs> oh man but it was still like that's the thing a lot of times like you have those big events in comedy where it's like oh, i made it to this thing Sometimes it becomes too big in your head where you think it's going to be this, like, oh, and then there's and just Hollywood is in the audience and they see you and they're like, okay, you're in now. Yeah. But. I think most people think that. Yeah, exactly. So you go there and you're disappointed that it's not that. But then if you kind of step back from it or look years later, you're like, oh, it did help. It didn't matter that it wasn't this perfect show or Someone didn't walk up to me after the show and go, you made it, kid, you know? But it was still, (laughs) like, helped when I came back. It was, like, a thing that I could kind of use to get on shows. Yeah. And, like, when I did uh, Conan, um, the Conan guy was in the audience for that uh, show. And it wasn't like he came up to me after that show and was like, you're going to be on Conan. But a couple years later when I submitted uh, my set to him, he remembered me from that. Oh, wow. So it was just, like, a little, like, oh, yeah, this guy. And then, you know, it wasn't like Just for Last got me on Conan, but it was a nice little bump. Yeah, that's cool. So what else besides, so you moved to L.A. and then you got Just for Laughs, and then what happened after that? Um, yeah, Just for Laughs. What else did I do? Um, this is like a little one, but it kind of was cool, like, I just did a couple Laugh Factory videos, and oh yeah, it felt like the most. Yeah, it was like the yeah. most of my stand-up videos that ever got like views. So that it, kind of felt cool. It and got it a also, lot of views, right? And it was yeah, it was also like a good tape to like. That's a that's a, I think a milestone is to just have a good tape. Like that's so important in comedy. Yeah. Because if anyone's gonna put you on a show, the most first thing they do is watch your tape, and if your tape sucks, and even a good tape is kind of like if you ever like. My wife ran a comedy festival, so I was on that end of it. Like, somebody right was looking LA, at tapes. Right. Yeah. But, like, if you look at, like, 50 tapes in a day, like, you just can't – you don't know what's funny anymore. Yeah. You're like, it seems funny, and <laughs> but I don't know if it is funny. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So your tape really has to look good, and your jokes have to hit, and the crowd should be good, and it should just look good. Like, it shouldn't just be – a dark corner and maybe there's people laughing you don't know or that sound is bad the camera's too far away what do you think's the single 
maybe one or two most important elements of like a good video? Uh, well, definitely audio. Yeah. Uh, you know, the audio can't be like annoying sounding or crackly. Yeah. I think like yeah, audio is probably maybe the most important I'd say. And then and then just yeah, it should look look clear. Yeah. You should be able to see your face, I think, and I think that uh, so those are the probably two most important. Just sound is most important. Yeah. And then yeah, like, don't visual, be in the like, shadow. Shouldn't be super far away. Yeah, it should be well lit. And I think that it does matter what's behind you. Like, is it a real club? Does it just seem like a basement? Yeah, it's like it's, a subtle thing, yeah. I feel like. The person watching is like, oh, I know this. Like, I would always submit comedy studio tapes because I do think that, like, enough people in the industry knew what it was. So, oh, I'll go to the studio. Like, this is a legit place. is isn't, isn't just you put on a show in your basement and yeah. had all your friends laugh at you. Exactly. You know? So, yeah, I think that matters, too. I mean, but if you can't get in a good club and get it, it's like, you can't. But, you know, I think that your tape depends on what you're trying to do. If you're submitting to, like, a festival versus just a club, you're like, hey, I want to get a guest spot. Here's my tape. That tape doesn't have to be as good as the tape in the festival, or that tape doesn't have to be as good as one where someone's going to pay you a thousand bucks. Yeah, exactly. It depends on what you're applying to. That's interesting. I didn't, I never even thought about that idea of like people maybe putting up shows, yeah. also in their basement, like yeah. just staging it, yeah. like, right? Like, uh, I don't know. You know the big like uh, Elon Musk like releasing the car into space. Yeah. Thing? There was like a frame of it. I don't know if you saw this, but there so was like this thing. Did it? Yeah, there was this thing of it like because apparently he like actually put one of the Teslas in space. Mm-hmm. But there was like a split frame where you literally just see a studio. Like behind the car, like because really? he, he there was they were live streaming the car in space, and you could <laughs> see the cars like playing music and like you could literally see the Earth behind it and stuff. And everyone's like, "Whoa, the car's in space!" But like, at one point for a brief second, you literally just see all that stuff turn off and there's just studio lights in the car, <laughs> and it's insane. I was just thinking like, "Whoa, I wonder if wonder if people have like green screens yeah, and just like yeah, bring yeah. their friends, yeah, for sure, their basement and just do that. That's crazy." Um, so. Yeah, you mentioned getting a good video, which is super important. How did you get uh, a video at the Laugh Factory? Like, that how did was that actually kind of not not shady, but like <laughs> you would do like a show there. Like I think one time it was the contest, and they'd put yeah. your clip online. People would votes. vote on it. Yeah, that might have been it. But I think that might be a separate thing. But had, sometimes like, just doing a show there, ones. they just film you. Yeah, I think you might sign something, but I don't know. It's a little weird where you like, funny. you don't totally have control on what what your clip is going up like I think there was one where i kind of messed up a thing so it wasn't like ideal i was like oh, i don't know if i want this up there they put it up they put it up yeah but at the same time i think i used to be more precious about that where it's like oh i don't want my stuff of mine up there but at a certain point just putting your stuff online is good people will see it so you can't be too protective of it yeah i think what you're saying makes sense my one of my friends, I think, got a video. I don't know. I think it was a Laugh Factory where they put it up, and he's like, "This is so not funny. Take this down." Like, why? Do you <laughs> yeah, put, yeah. You put this bit up. No one's laughing. It makes me look so bad. Yeah, exactly. So that that part's not great. You don't have complete control. You don't even know what they're gonna do. So you just do a show there, and they have it on tape. And then if they want to, they'll take a clip of it and put it up. Wow. I'm pretty sure I probably signed something at some point. Yeah. But I didn't every time sign something. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> 
You just sign something that gives you them ownership to all your material <laughs> yeah, forever. Yeah. Like, what is this? I thought I was just signing the check. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. So, yeah, Laugh Factory. Then I'd know. say after that, like maybe Conan or uh, yeah, Conan was like you know the one of the biggest. Oh, actually, before that, I got an Adam Devine's house party. Oh, whoa! So that was really cool. That was my first uh, TV set. Sweet. And that was yeah, that was that was a big how'd that step happen? For me. Just like that. Um, well, that actually another. Um, actually, well, I was doing well. Dead Kevin. Dead Kevin was probably another big step. That was before uh, Just for Laughs and Conan. It was not stand up, but I do think it helped me in stand up because I was putting out sketches with two other guys. And it's just another way for people to know who you were. So it was exposure in a different way, and it kind of um, made you seem more rounded as a comedian. So then when people were looking at your stand-up, I don't know, it just kind of gave you an extra boost. Yeah. People people were watching you. They knew who you were in this video. So then when they see your stand-up, maybe it's a little different. They know they know you now. They, they know another side of you. Yeah, they and you're, you're putting out seen. content. And it's almost easier to watch a sketch than it is to watch someone stand up online. Cause I think, you know, it loses a lot when you're just watching something online, like uh stand up wise. Cause I think stand up in the room is always better. Yeah. So now you're putting out sketches. It's something else for people to watch. Just another kind of content. So I do think that, I don't think that's for everyone. Everyone shouldn't do the same exact thing. Where it's like, you got to do a sketch and you got to do stand up and you got to do, but finding like what your thing is or things, other things you like and not only laser focusing on stand up, I think helped me get more ahead in stand up. Interesting. So was that mostly sketch comedy for you? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And cool. I and I did sketch comedy before that with my friend Tim Vargulish in Boston and actually it helped there too because it was just another thing where it was almost like taking you off this like track of like we're all doing stand up. So we kind of all fade away into each other like oh we're all we're all doing it yeah then i started putting out like videos that were different and people noticed it more they're like oh yeah you also do these videos those are cool yeah so that really helped i thought and so yeah with dead kevin so through dead kevin the people at comedy central knew me and we were in a meeting with them with dead kevin but they mentioned the adam divine's house party and i was just like i i'd love to be on that and nice. they also, the people that were doing that did see me in the JFL too. And they're like, oh, yeah, I remember seeing you in JFL. And so, yeah, it was just kind of those two things helped. And then I submitted a, a, a tape for Adam Devine's house party, and they accepted it. That is so cool. Yeah. And just like two years ago, you are on Conan, right? Yeah, two years of Conan. And just now, a couple weeks ago, it hasn't aired yet, but I filmed a set for Colbert. Oh, yeah. sweet. Congrats. Uh, yeah, thanks. When, when is that going to air? Do you know? Uh, th- within like, they said six weeks. So within maybe like four weeks now, hopefully. Nice. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. How do you go about, I mean, obviously you're like a veteran comic by now. <laughs> and how, how do you approach like, because I know a lot of people want to do like late night. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, I ha- think yeah, it is a cool. very different art. Like, I think you can't just be like. Here's five funny jokes or five funny minutes. I should just put this on late night. Like, I think like you really do have to consider what late night is, who the audience is, because for a while I was trying to do that. You know, I was just oh these are five jo- five minutes of jokes that work. They work all the time or whatever. These are good, but I don't know. There's certain types of jokes I think like fit 
better on late night than others. So sometimes a topic, like if it's just like a super relatable topic, I think that's great for late night because your audience is like older people and tourists or people in the middle of America, cool people, not cool people, you know, yeah. old people, young people. So it does have to be something that's pretty relatable to all those people. You don't want to be broad and just a joke that everyone's heard. It should be very like original and unique because then why else would it be on this late night show f- for five minutes? So kind of almost has to somehow fit those two categories, like very relatable, but not just a broad joke that everyone's yeah, heard about not, the same topic. Don't lose your voice. Yeah. And yeah. That's cool. So, you know, so many people want to do late night and how, and like I have friends that are like, yeah, I'm going to do late night in two years or whatever. And they have these goals for themselves, but what are some actionable things that would actually get someone closer to doing it? Okay, so so uh, definitely the tape, I think, again, because that's probably how you're going to maybe reach out to the booker is send a tape to them so they can see. So, again, that tape is so important. Did you do it or did your manager? Um, for Conan, my manager did it. Yeah. Um, and then for Colbert, they actually reached out and I just sent them a oh, tape. Oh, nice. Yeah. But I would say... This might not be exactly what you're asking, but uh, thinking about word economy is really, really important because, like, it can't be rambly. You got to take all the extra words because that's kind of what they're looking at. They're looking at it's almost a math equation to them sometimes. They're like, oh, this joke is like 30 seconds before anyone laughs at it. It kind of matters to them. So, just because this joke, this one minute joke works really well. But maybe you kind of take a long time to get to the funny part, and that really matters. So I think a lot, like people I know and I love and like I think are super funny, but sometimes get frustrated that they're not getting on late night. I do think that's like a huge part of it, is just not it being a clean joke, not clean as in like dirty I know clean, what you but mean, like just like sand off the edges, stuff. like get rid of that um or this sentence doesn't need to be there. So that stuff to me is. Sometimes people are like, oh, how come I'm not on late night? This guy sucks or this guy doesn't like me. But but sometimes they don't ever think about that part. It's like, you've been telling this joke and it works, but think about it. Like, look at it and edit it and clean it up. Make it a little bow. Put a little bow on it. Yeah. This is a late night joke. Yeah, make it as concise so, as yeah. possible. So I think definitely combing through, picking what you're, you want your set to be. Maybe, you know, having three extra minutes. For the late night booker to look at and go, oh, I don't like this joke, but I like that other one. So, you know, giving at least like eight minutes of material that you think could get on. Um, So that's important. Then just kind of maybe having your name be out there is also really important because it's hard to just be a faceless person that's like, hey, I'm really funny. You should put me on your late night show as opposed to like where the Conan person is like, oh, yeah, I kind of knew you from something else. So they maybe take a little more second, a little extra time to look at you. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I know this guy. Let's watch his stuff rather than just, yeah. hey, I'm nobody. Here, watch his thing. <laughs> totally. Maybe he's not going to be as invested. So that's a huge part of it, generating some kind of buzz around your name, whether it's you're in L.A. and you're doing a bunch of shows in L.A. or you did a comedy festival. So that kind of stuff helps. Yeah. Just kind of having, some having something, yeah, something around you that's not just, here's, I'm funny. Put me on your show. Um, but then I do think thinking about like your voice a little bit, but like who you are, like, um, you know, some people complain where it's like, if you're like a straight white male comic, they're like, Oh, nobody wants straight white male comics. But it's like, well, think about what, 
you know, what are you? Is that all you are, just straight wild? Like, you know, what's your voice? Are you like an angry guy? Are you and kind of thinking about that because that's kind of what these late night shows are presenting. It's like, here's this kind of person. You know, here's this like working mom. She's going to do a set. Or like, here's yeah. this like young, like half black, half Japanese guy. Like that, that kind of stuff does matter so trying to think of like what's your packaging like a little branding a little bit yeah like think like, about your yeah. niche kind yeah, of yeah what is that like what are they putting on their late night show it's not just five funny jokes strung together it's like it's you you're on so without the jokes what are you you know like what are you presenting i think is that's important. so cool yeah. yeah how would you describe that for yourself <laughs> um i guess like i you know i have like like i'm half white half not white so there's something there with me a little bit of my voice is like um this like not androgynous but that's kind of whatever that word is for like ethnicity yeah (laughs) i'm kind of this nothingness or both or i don't know so i i think there's something unique there i'm just kind of this you don't know what i am a little bit yeah or i am these two things with the colbert set i had a little bit more of that in there than the conan but um but yeah i don't know like uh I'm kind of clean or like fun. I don't know. It's hard to describe yeah. it for yourself, but I kind of knew it a little bit more when I was presenting it. Um, and then what other things would, uh, so I think, you know, the tape kind of being like having your name be out there, cleaning up the word economy, making sure it's a clean, nice little shaving off, yeah. the sanding the thing. Um, and then, and then, yeah, I guess knowing who the bookers are is really important. Uh, so and your manager knew, right? Or did you? Um, yeah, but I knew who he was you? too. I knew who he was too, and and knowing what they like, and actually watching Conan sets or watching, like, if you want to get on Conan or Colbert, watch those sets and don't just go. That's ah, not funny. I'm funnier than that. I should be on the show. Watch them and go. Well, what, what's like? What's similar about these? Why are these people getting on? You know, knowing your audience, knowing what they like at that show, not just being like, I'm funny. I have funny, a really funny five minutes. It should be on any show. Like, why should it be on Colbert versus Conan? Like, know what that is. That's cool. Find the voice of the show. Yeah, do your homework. Don't just go, it's funny. It should be on anything. Sweet. Yeah, I think so. That's great advice. Yeah. So, um, Okay, well, real quick, do you have to? Can I ask you questions about Dead Kevin? Yeah, you quick? can. Yeah. Um, do you think we can go till nine thirty? It's nine eighteen yeah, right now. Nine thirty. All right, cool. I'll ask you Dead Kevin. All right, cool. So switching gears a little bit, you have <laughs> switching the gears. Record scratch. Uh, you are a uh, active member on Dead Kevin Sketch mm-hmm. that was like pretty frequently posting, and then they you killed them off. And then <laughs> yeah. They, yeah, again. so we uh, we started putting on a sketch every Monday, and we did that for about three years. And then just three years in, we were, we were kind of doing a little bit more other things, so our time started getting more thin. And we had done about 150 sketches at that point, so we were just kind of a little tired of it. So we just wanted to have a little cap, and we killed our characters off. That's so funny. <laughs> but always knowing that if we wanted to, we just put out more videos. Okay. no one would really maybe take that we're dead that seriously. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. There's, so there's no, like, resurrection-type sketch. Yeah, no. Where you guys are like, yeah. yo, hey. We thought about that. We are like, should we explain <laughs> it? And we are just like, nah. <laughs> Let's funny. just put out more sketches. 
It's actually pretty funny if you just don't acknowledge yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 That's cool. So how did, how did you guys form, you, Jack, and Well, Ryan? we all were doing the mics together, and we're all from New England. I knew Ryan from Rhode Island before. We'd been in two different comedy contests together, which is like a weird way to meet someone because you're just immediately their competitor. So we never really knew each other that well out there. We just kind of knew each other by being in those contests. But when I moved out here... We recognized each other, so we kind of was immediately a little bit more uh, connected. Yeah. And and Jack kind of was in that same, like, scene that we're all doing. And we all just, for the three of us, we're pretty different in ways in our comedy. But we're also, I would describe all three of us as being, like, sweet boys a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> they were all kind of just nice guys, and so we gravitated towards each other. I feel like none of us... We're all pretty negative towards ourselves and self-deprecating and feel like losers, you know, which I guess everyone does. <laughs> but we, I don't know, we just kind of connected. And Jack saw that I did sketches before. And so he'd always email me and be like, oh, we should do some sketches. And and then one time him and Ryan got together and filmed one. And then they were like, you should do one next. So then that next time I did it, we just were like, all right, let's just become a sketch group and do this all the time. That's amazing. Yeah. That's like a, a big commitment. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it was It was just this perfect storm of the three of us were all willing to commit our time. Because it's really hard to get people to a spot. And Jack just had a house that was willing, his roommate was willing to put up with us taking over the living room or the kitchen. That's or, a big thing because it's hard to sure. put yeah. in LA. Yeah. And that was the other thing was, for me, the sketch uh, group that I had before, there's me and my other friend. Uh, we were doing more like charactery uh, situation kind of sketches. Yeah. Where this one, I'm a bartender, and I'm a gremlin, and you're you're a princess, or you're a farmer, and that was really time consuming and hard to come it's up hard. with spaces. So with Dead Kevin, we kind of really decided to just be like, what? Let's just what can we shoot all the time? Your apartment us as us we're ourselves or our versions of ourselves that wear our clothes we don't need costumes we don't need like different settings so that was a big part of why we just were like all right three guys in an apartment because that's what we got that makes it so easy mm-hmm. i mean it's not easy but yeah, it makes yeah. it easier it reduces so much overhead and money and yeah location sure. yeah we could shoot everything for free really except for our time but what was the process like from idea of a sketch to like having it up on YouTube. So a lot of them are different, but for the most part, we'd think of a concept and we'd kind of throw a bunch of ideas around. Like, oh, what if we do this? Or what if we do that? And then one thing would make us laugh. Like, oh yeah, that's funny. Like you got, you got herpes, but you, you won't admit it. Right. That was one of them. And then we didn't really write the sketches out. We would just kind of do a take kind of had a general idea of like oh you're gonna you're gonna say you're sick and i'm gonna say i'm sick and then you say yeah me too but we cut to you and it's herpes (laughs) so then we would just like tell the camera guy john john hale is a really talented artist uh camera and not camera like painter and photographer and just cool guy uh he was just really chill and willing to put up with our sloppiness yeah and he could kind of just make most things look good pretty easily. He just kind of had a really good hand. Um, he could just do a good handheld thing or, um, you know, just kind of make our, like, 
half idea look like a full idea. So you guys, in, he he was the DP basically. He, well, like, yeah, he was the DP. He came in on the third sketch. So the first sketch was just Ryan and Jack. Second one was uh, me, Ryan, and Jack, and that one was like a we just did it like on a phone kind of like it was like a yeah. phone prank joke. And then the third one, we went to John's house, who wasn't living with Jack at the time, but they do now. Um, and John was just like, we, we were like, oh, we want to have a sketch where we smoke cigarettes, but none of us can smoke cigarettes or something like that. Where it was, or it was like Jack smoking a cigarette because he did smoke cigarettes. Yeah. And me and Ryan join him, but we don't know how. And we did, right, that was pretty much, that so was the funny, only yeah. idea. It was just like kind of really half idea. It was yeah. just like, yeah, we all come out and smoke cigarettes, but we suck at it or something. And then John started shooting it. He just like way the way he like zoomed in or caught the rhythm. We like watched one take and then the sketch clicked in, which is kind of how most Ed Kevin sketches are. It's like a half idea. You do a take, you watch it, and then you find like, oh, that's kind of that's the funny part. So it's a really so cool. sloppy way of falling into a sketch, but it would kind of keep us all interested in it, and it would keep it alive. And there would always, you'd always be like a chance that you're gonna make everyone laugh again because you said something that you didn't say the last take. Yeah. And then you just do it a three or four takes, and then at that point it would kind of hammer into a thing, and you'd kind of do the same thing over and over again after that, but still kind of being fluid with it. Oh, that's cool. So you kind of like shape it. Yeah, right? exactly. And then the edit, Jack, Jack would edit most of them, and the edit really would be where it would shape itself too because you just shot a bunch of shit. And then you'd look at it and go, oh, this works, or this is funny. Let's keep that, and then what can we build around it? So a lot of times you'd shoot it, and you wouldn't even know what the sketch was going to look like until Jack put it up and sent it to us. We're like, oh, yeah, that's good. Oh, I think I said something like this. Can you find that and put that back in? Or Were you guys picky about edits and stuff like that? Sometimes. I feel like early on we were kind of a little bit more like – I probably was most vocal. Jack would edit most of them, and then I would have maybe the most – like complaints or comments yeah i think ryan was ryan would be like he would complain very little but i feel like he would be concise a lot of times like if he did have a note he would know exactly what he wanted okay whereas me i was like i'd kind of be more like i think there could be maybe thing here i don't know or try yeah. this or a little bit more like floaty <laughs> but uh yeah so i think at first we were maybe a little bit more combative about things and after a while, I realized like how much work Jack was putting him into, so we started kind of just laying off a little bit. If there was a thing I really liked that I did, or a thing I remember watching when we rewatched, like oh, I really liked that that moment. Can we put that back in? But for the most part, we try to now just give light Be notes. Kind yeah. <laughs> but what is happened Jack still too editing? is, yeah, he edits most. Of them. But then what what really helped was like when I would start editing some of them, that helped. I think. Maybe it helped Jack kind of see the things I was talking about. Like, oh, okay, I see why, like, your style of editing, like, why sometimes you want this or that. And then it also helped Jack realize, like, oh, it is different when someone else is putting it together. It doesn't feel – it feels different. It feels You feel naked a little bit. Like, oh, I didn't, I didn't have any part of this. Yeah. So maybe that helped him go, like, oh, okay. Like, that's why when I show them what I put together, they're – complaining about this or they they had a different thing in mind so it kind of helped that and then sometimes we'd edit together and that cool. really helped us figure out what our voices were all together were you ever so 
when you were both editing, were you both editing the same one? Or yeah, usually turns? it would be like we'd sit next to each other, uh, which is pretty annoying a lot of times if you're the editor, which oh, I think Jack would God. kind of be annoyed with. But um, so stressful. Like, yeah. That partner or pair editing, whatever. It's just like <laughs> yeah. stressful. But most of the time when we did do editing together, I would just like be kind of standing away. Yeah. And then he'd go fiddle with it. And I'd come back and be like, mm, and maybe I would try to fiddle with it, or I would just like say something. And I'm like, oh, but if we just like end it like really a little bit there, or like, or let that go a little bit longer, you know. So it was just a little stuff like that, or it wasn't like too, I wasn't too, getting like, too hands on. Yeah. yeah, just kind of, you you do it, and then I'll sit o- sit over here and not look over your shoulder. But I'll come <laughs> back and go, oh yeah, that's good, or oh, what about that? <laughs> that's inter- that's cool. That's like a cool like. Way to collaborate, yeah, feel like. and collaborating is just like a huge lesson in comedy and life. I think like stand up is so solo; you get to be in charge of everything, the direction, the writing, you know, the performance, where you do it. Yeah, but with collaboration, it's I don't know; it's it's good and bad. What are some like big lessons you learned in collaborating with those guys? Um, for me, I always think that supporting is really good. Like. I think sometimes if someone does something that you don't think is that funny or not, you kind of get worried. You're like, well, I don't think this is funny. Uh, should I say we shouldn't do this or I should stop it or be like, no, that's not funny. Where I started just kind of being like, well, that's funny to him. So if it's funny to him. It's funny to someone else. Yeah. So if so you kind of trust. Yeah. You kind of, yeah. Trusting and, and yeah, giving like, yeah, trusting is really a huge part of collaboration, I think. Yeah, that's cool. It's like the yes and. Yeah, for sure. Even though if, I've definitely had that where I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm for this, but like, yeah. I don't want to like, like kill your energy. Yeah, it's yeah, like exactly. If you think it's a yeah. go somewhere, like let's try and make it. Yeah, go yeah, somewhere. always trying, and then coming up with ways of saying why you don't think something's funny or kind of forces you to be a little bit more articulate with your thing yeah, rather than that that's not funny. You go like, oh well, you're kind of letting you're kind of letting the joke out early if you say that or if like you're against this then it doesn't allow the sketch to move forward because your character is fighting and yeah we're trying to go this way that's cool so yeah being a little bit more articulate rather than just like don't do that or i don't want yeah that's definitely important it's hard to like have that those conversations i feel like so being more specific is better and you kind of get the strengths of other people or like ryan ryan's such a different like actor than i am i think and like he just like this little man child like playing and having fun like in like the mud you know yeah so sometimes I would do I would that would bring me out of my neurotic like actory like what's my motivation yeah <laughs> and it's like oh he's just like being funny <laughs> and he's just like being free so that's that helped cool. me yeah do you feel that like that well like it liberated you in a way or like yeah I think so sometimes it's like let go like because a lot of times I feel like when we're doing a scene especially because it's improvised. Mm-hmm. I maybe am like the last to come to like the table of like knowing what I'm doing because I'm like trying so hard to figure out like, well, do I think what you're saying is good or bad? Or like, am I agreeing with you? Because sometimes Ryan's like really dumb as a character. Yeah. So sometimes like my actory brain is to try to like treat everything like I would treat it. So I'm like, wow, I think that what he's saying is so wrong. Wouldn't I like say, hey, that's wrong or you're, whatever you're saying is wrong. Yeah. Whereas um, if I just let go and like had fun, it didn't matter maybe, or I'd find a new thing or I'd be like, oh, 
Like we actually did our most recent sketch, I kind of had to relearn that. Where he was, we see a spider, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and Ryan's that. like freaking out about the spider, and he starts saying all these like facts that are wrong. So the first few improv- improvisations, I kept acknowledging that they were wrong or having like a I don't think that's true reaction, and it was just kind of not working for me. I was like, ah, I'm like, I'm being taken out of this thing because I'm pointing out what he's saying is not right. Yeah. But somehow I was like, how do I? So after a while, I was like, I'm really, I'm, I'm choosing to be really scared of the spider. That was my choice. And so then I was just like, what if I'm just like, Ryan, I want Ryan to keep me safe. So maybe when he says these wrong things, I'm not really paying attention as much or I'm not going to call him out for it. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he knows. Have him save it. You know, like, okay, <laughs> you like spiders. Go over there. So it just kind of helped the, the scene move better Yeah. rather than every time he said like, a wrong fact about spiders or a weird fact, me going, is that true? And you just, just having trusted a, that yeah. he was the expert on yeah, spiders. Yeah. You're, yeah. Like, you're the expert? I don't, yeah. I don't <laughs> know these. <laughs> Get the, yeah. That was funny. Yeah. Um, huh. What was I going to ask? Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. What I wanted to ask was, so when, how long did it actually take to, like, how many hours were you putting in maybe a week? for your dead Kevin sketches? Ooh, that's hard. I feel like I would know that answer better like a few years ago, but um, I feel like a sketch would take like maybe an hour or two to film or so. That's pretty good. Yeah, because we were getting, like after a while it was like relatively, um, I mean sometimes something would hiccup or we would decide we were shooting it all wrong or something and change, but like for the most part they're all similarly shot. Once we figured out where we should stand or the camera guy was like, found out his angles, we just kind of did it like three takes maybe and we're done. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So it didn't even interfere that much with your stand-up time? No, not that much. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't think so. That's we're cool. Pretty, yeah, we, we got it down pretty well. But after a while, you start running out of ideas. So that part was hard. So the idea part was probably the longer thing where we'd sit around get like high and drink and just like sit around jack's couch and start saying ideas and towards the end the idea process was just drawn out for so long because we're like nah, that's not funny no nah, that's not funny no nah, no nah, that's hard nah. to get out of that rut. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so how like you just sit there for maybe like hours and just like would you have, would you ever have hours, times where you I didn't guess, come up but... with stuff yeah, I'd say every once in a while there was something where we were just like, we don't have to film a sketch. <laughs> yeah. Let's just hang out. <laughs> like, but yeah, for the most part, we'd always come up with something. It just might not be the thing that we thought was the best sketch we ever filmed. You know, some of them were just like, okay, but we just set that deadline for ourselves. Yeah. So we were like, whatever, let's we'll just put it out. Who cares? Yeah. Put another one the next week. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so how did you guys have like 30,000 followers on YouTube, which is pretty yeah. cool. It's like kind of like a little cult following. You guys yeah, have. it's cool. I feel like it's not like the biggest following, but it seems like a pretty loyal, cool following. They yeah. always come back the next week to watch the next one. And and I, when I do the road now, like especially colleges, it seems like at least there's at least one kid at every college that brings up Dead Kevin, which is cool. That's awesome. The one guy like came up to me and he was like referencing a joke I didn't get. Like there was like a sketch where we all. We called it playing men, where we were just like dressed up in suits and like acted like men. I found that pretty funny. <laughs> but like, I, there's a point in it where I'm like I'm just calling everyone Roger or something like Roger, Roger. <laughs> and this like kid just walked up to me, 
Andy. And you kind of feel awkward when you go to these colleges because you're just like standing in the corner. And this kid was like, Roger? And I was like, oh, no, I'm not Roger. He goes, Roger? Roger? And I'm like, no, nah, I'm not Roger. <laughs> and he's like, no, from your sketch. <laughs> so just like, I was like, oh, crap. I feel like I was being a dick for a while. I was like, no, dude, I'm not Roger. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get this joke that I made. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty funny, though. Yeah, yeah, that's been cool. It's you know, it's not like everyone knows who you are, but it's cool when that like, like I went to like my wife's hometown and I went to like a diner, and like some girl that worked in the kitchen like knew Dead Kevin. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. And like so weird, but it made me feel cool because I was like out with my in-laws and they're like, I knew who you were. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> even in your hometown, like just some girl in the kitchen. That's so funny. So how did how did that happen? How did you guys build that? Had a fan base. Um, I think like some of it was from like we'd get like a sketch on Tosh Point and then that kind of got us a lot of subscribers and uh, or like someone would put a thing on a like HuffPo or Funnier Die would share or Comedy Central. We got a bunch from that when we did like a series of twelve sketches for them. So yeah, just different different things like that and like I think people sharing it. I felt like early on it seemed like a lot of comics were sharing it and that helped and. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Slowly gathered, it. and I I would do a lot of the like, subscribe buttons and yeah, yeah. So I think that maybe helped. I'd, on every sketch, I'd put like a little subscribe thing. Did you actively like try to promote and stuff like that, or did it was it pretty organic? Um, yeah, I try to do that a lot in the beginning, or like figure out the tags and the like things yeah, and where to like, put it. It's annoying. I don't know how like... much it helped. <laughs> I think sometimes oh, most of it was just organic of people liking the sketch and sharing it. So I know we've gone over, so we can pretty much finish here. Uh, thanks so much for doing the podcast. Of course, really yeah, thanks. It. it was fun. Do you have anything you might want to like plug or? Uh, yeah, um, Dream Corp. Uh, it's a show that I'm on. <laughs> the second season is coming out soon. Uh, I think well, hopefully there'll be a third season after that. Uh, I really like the show. I'm a small character on it. Uh, it's just really fun. So if people could watch that, sweet. First season's on Dream Hulu, Corp. I think. So. Watch the first season. You have a special out, right? Season. Oh, yeah. Um, the Half Hour Comedy yeah. Central. Yeah, I did a Half Hour on Comedy Central. That should be on their website. And I have, oh, I have an album called Almond Baduti. You can get it on iTunes. Buy that. Um, and look out for more Dead Kevin sketches in the future. Cool. Thanks so much, Almond. I appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for tuning into Working Comic Podcast. There's a new episode every week where I interview writers, directors, comedians, producers, any kind of creative thing you can think of, and also the business side of things. So club owners, agents, managers, festival runners, all that stuff. So tune in every week. And uh, also follow me on social media at the Austin Nasso on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can also catch me on YouTube with Chabros, C-H-A-A, Bros, one word. Uh, we have some funny videos up, so check it out. Thanks, guys. <laughs>